This is Brand and New from the International Trademark Association. This podcast series explores changes and dynamics in the legal world, now and tomorrow, with a focus on intellectual property. Welcome to Brand and New. I am Audrey Dove. With the spread of the pandemic, countries worldwide have been implementing more or less stringent social distancing and lockdown measures, and the operations of intellectual property offices have been impacted just as any other businesses or institutions. Many offices around the world have implemented emergency policies to limit their services, and some even have shut down for the foreseeable future. And for companies and individuals with trademark or patent portfolios, now is a critical time to be aware of any changes that may impact their IP management strategies. My guest today is Michael Schwager, the Director General of IP Australia, based in Canberra. IP Australia is the country's IP office responsible for administering IP rights, including trademarks, patents, designs, and plant breeders' rights applications. It has been ranked in April 2020 in the top 10 of most innovative IP offices in the world, based on a research from World Trademark Review, which analyzed 50 IP offices. Before leading IP Australia, since September 2018, Michael spent almost 13 years with the Department of Industry, Innovation and Science of the Australian government, where he was in charge of what we could call today innovation policy, that is developing and implementing strategies to foster an internationally competitive, innovative and sustainable business environment in Australia. Michael, welcome to Brand New. Audrey, thank you. It's lovely to be here and um, thank you for that very kind introduction. Michael, these are for sure trying times for everyone and every business, and it must be difficult to keep up with trademark applications, requests from right holders, and other issues that IPOs, such as IP Australia, usually handle on a daily basis when a significant part of the world population is on lockdown, working remotely. What does it look like to work for IP Australia right now? I think it's fair to say that we are all learning from this COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the Australian government and governments around the world and IP offices like ours, I think we've risen to the challenge. Our government has made decisive steps to keep the Australian public service, the government agencies operating to support Australians and to support our customers. Uh, I'm really happy with the way IP Australia has responded. We have implemented solutions to ensure both the safety of our staff and that continuation of our core business of providing IP rights. From the outset of the pandemic, IP Australia's executive uh, has met daily and then weekly to respond and pivot to ensure that we are looking after those staff and, and customers. Um, so we really want to ensure that our staff are safe and that the disruption to them is minimised so they can continue to provide the services that they need to provide. And so the immediate focus has been for us maintaining that interaction with customers so that they can continue to receive protection for their IP rights and the ongoing examination services that we provide. Luckily, I Australia is a very flexible employer. Over the past almost two years, we have put a lot of work into upgrading our IT systems, the way we work in our office footprint, 
it's been very useful for us to do that because essentially 98% of our staff moved out of the office to work from home during this period. But that's been really helped by the fact that a large part of our business is already digitized. Um, we provide almost complete end-to-end -end digital delivery for our customers. We, we were in a good position going into the COVID crisis to be able to work quite flexibly. We have been able to pivot fairly quickly and successfully. Uh, our production of IP rights has maintained business as usual levels pretty much throughout this COVID process. And now, of course, we are getting to the stage where we need to consider how to transition back to the office. We've continued to work from home. That's been very successful. Some of us have actually developed new habits that we want to keep, been some successes in this new way of working. And we are considering how to hold on to those good things, but also to consider what should we not return to in terms of um, practices that, uh, that are left behind. It's been an interesting time, but the teams are doing really well. Michael, many IP offices around the globe have issued COVID-19 guidance to inform stakeholders of the way they handle workflow meetings and hearings during this global health emergency. Uh, for instance, the USPTO announced a waiver for petition fees in certain situations for customers impacted by the virus, uh, as well as an extension of certain patent and trademark-related timing deadlines. At IP Australia, did you put in place specific measures to support and help your consumers and stakeholders cope with the situation? Absolutely, we did. We recognised very early that any of our customers were possibly struggling with the impact of COVID-19. And as I mentioned, we're very keen to ensure that our customers were supported. Our offices in Canberra and Melbourne were effectively closed so we did need to adapt how we interacted with customers. And I mentioned it was quite convenient for us that almost 99% of our online services were able to continue as normal. We did provide a dedicated website messaging to update people on how we were operating, uh, which had a lot of regular website traffic. We also met with our key stakeholders, particularly the uh, Australian patent and trademark attorneys to take on their feedback about how to best support our customers. So our initial approach was to provide extensions of time on a case-by-case -case basis. Part of the difficulty was trying to understand what we were able to do within our legislation and regulations, which are set by parliament, and we needed to assess the best way to go about that. So we immediately set up messages to say that we would consider extensions of time on a case-by-case -case basis and made it clear that we were going to be as, as understanding as possible in the consideration of those requests. But then we were able to use the time quickly to provide a more streamlined approach. So from the 22nd of April, all of the customers that we had that were impacted by COVID-19 had access to free streamlined three-month extensions for almost all of our services. Those streamlined extensions made use of our existing extension of time power under the legislation that we have. Uh, we made it easy to apply with a one 
checkbox on our e-services, our web services accounts, so that the applicant or the attorney, if they were unable to meet the relevant deadline due to disruptions from the pandemic, they could easily declare that the delay was because of COVID-19, and we accepted that without any any further questions. We still did have to follow the processes with respect to um, allowing the other processes around exemptions of time to flow through, but we were keen to make it as easy as possible for people affected by COVID-19. And of course, people who didn't fit weren't able to do the streamlined extension process. The traditional requests for extensions were, were still available. The only thing that was not as streamlined was for plant breeders' rights, which we provide due to differences in the legislation that, that supports plant breeders' rights, but they were able to achieve a pretty similar outcome. Mm-hmm. And has this crisis triggered new demands uh, when it comes to uh, the IP assets or right holders? I think it's fair to say that our immediate focus has been very much on measures that our IP rights holders needed right now to get through the crisis. Um, they're the sort of extensions that I mentioned. We know just through general media reporting that pharmaceutical companies, research institutions are all working on COVID-19 responses. We can see private companies, universities are providing unprecedented access to their IP for use in ending the pandemic, subject to different licensing depending on the business relationships. So there is also a new kind of cooperation occurring at a country level. We see industry, government and academia in Japan making an open COVID-19 declaration and individual companies are taking action. Medtronic has released its design of a ventilator with a hope to increase global production of ventilator solutions. So you can see at research commercial government level that organizations are cooperating outside of normal conventions when it comes to their IP assets. It really has created innovation in a way and and, and some of it by necessity in how to handle individual IP assets. And given the scale of the emergency that so many places are facing, that's that's, um, to be welcomed. INTA is a global association representing more than 30,000 brand owners and professionals dedicated to supporting trademarks and related intellectual property to foster consumer trust, economic growth, and innovation. We we mentioned earlier uh, global efforts from public and private sectors to develop solutions to the most critical problems countries are facing right now, so testing for, treating and preventing the inoculation and spread of the COVID-19 mainly. And this may lead to some boom of life sciences and healthcare-related IP rights. What are your views on this? And if we go further, do you feel other areas might benefit from this contemplated wave of innovations? So I think it's interesting when you think of how the commercial world will respond um, to the pressures that under its possible that they will ramp up R&D in order to better bounce back from the economic pressures when we emerge from the immediate economic problems. Um, Of course, 
some companies under pressure might need to cut costs by reducing R&D activity. So it will depend very much on the on the different circumstances of different companies as to how they respond. It is clear that there are great examples of where COVID-19 is driving product innovation and collaboration, particularly, as you say, in the healthcare space. If I can look at it, there's recent Australian examples. Four Australian manufacturers have teamed up with one of the world's biggest medtech companies, Stryker, to use the Stryker design of an emergency relief hospital bed to create rapid prototypes and develop a version for particular Australian needs. So you have an Australian mattress manufacturer, A.H. Beard. You have a wheel and caster maker, Fallshore. You have vehicle conversion specialists, Amtec Australia. You have a fabrication engineering company, Varley Group. They've all signed up to help Stryker get production moving as quickly as possible. And as a result of that, Stryker is now able to produce a 1,000 hospital beds per week for Australia and the broader South Pacific region. So that's a great example of of how healthcare collaboration and innovation is happening. It is a bit of a boom in that, obviously driven by demand, and you'll see that spillover happen across different, you'll see that characterised across different areas of the life science and healthcare space. It points to how important it is to have an agile workforce that are able to diversify and collaborate because they'll be in a really strong position to rebuild and grow post-pandemic. How do uh, intellectual property offices could or even should participate in public action and policy making right now, in your view? And also, what's IP Australia perspective on the various bills enacted around the world to create compulsory licenses on certain patents on public interest and emergency grounds? Well, IP has become increasingly central to a range of public policy issues. There's a couple of ways that IPOs can participate meaningfully in public action and policy making. It's important to understand that one of the essential issues is a social contract involved in a balanced IP regime, and a key element of that is disclosure. So in respect of patents in particular, disclosure of information relating to an invention is required in return for the reward of protected use for a finite period. So that disclosure of valuable information enables other researchers and inventors to build upon or repurpose new technologies or medicines that further promotes innovation. And that aspect of the value of IP can sometimes be obscured when considering the particular um, immediate life-threatening needs that we are seeing around the world at the moment. We need to continue to incentivize R&D to produce the various responses to COVID-19, whether it be particular treatments, particular devices, technologies and vaccines. Moving forward, I think it's true to say IP will be essential for economic recovery coming out of COVID-19. We've seen a lot of innovation. I mentioned some examples before. I think we can see more before this is over. And a well-balanced IP regime is important to achieve that. IPOs themselves, as you hint, have a wealth of policy experience and data, and they should be contributing that and do we do contribute that to public policy debate in this space. 
You mentioned compulsory licensing. Most patent systems around the world include exceptions to patent rights to ensure access to new technologies in times of crisis. Those exceptions are allowed under the TRIPS agreement. means compulsory licenses can be used for certain patented inventions without the consent, but as you know, they're very rarely used. Proposals have been made at the moment, in fact, um, with the World Health Organization in Geneva um, currently meeting to facilitate compulsory licensing and patent pooling initiatives. We appreciate the positive role that collaboration and voluntary patent pooling can play at the moment. We certainly want to see outcomes that promote access to medicine and innovation at the same time as recognising the vital role IP incentivisation plays. Australia has compulsory provisions like most other countries. We haven't used them. It seems unlikely that we would need to based on the sorts of collaboration that I was talking about between different participants in the Australian economy. So not only has the COVID-19 pandemic encouraged unprecedented collaboration, um, there's lots of proactive efforts to repurpose known compounds. I think we're watching uh, to ensure that um, nothing stands in the way of that level of cooperation. So there's a positive spirit of collaboration happening in various places, not just in Australia, but around the world. In fact, WIPO has compiled a list of voluntary actions that have been happening uh, as part of their recently released policy tracker in response to COVID-19. Michael, what are your learnings from this crisis on the operations of uh, an IPO such as IP Australia and its priorities? Did it change something for the future? We're still obviously operating in a pandemic, and that has certainly changed our the rhythm of our daily lives, that's, that's for sure, and we've had to adapt to extreme change. I think a key learning is on communication, so accurate, concise, timely communication, whether it be with the staff or customers or indeed the government that we serve, has been really critically important to get us through uh, so far. Customer focus, maintaining focus on delivering for our customers and monitoring and implementing things at the right time has been important. We didn't rush to put in place automatic extensions of time. We, we managed it on a case-by-case basis. And then when it became clear that we could do it in the most legally reliable and um, simple way, we automated it. So I think that was useful, a useful approach for us to take that customer focus to make sure that we provided as much certainty and as much comfort to customers as we could. The other important piece is the important piece from our chief economist's office, using our data sets to provide economic analysis to the government on IP rights issues and the various IP rights that exist in important industries across Australia. International collaboration has been critical. The way we have been communicating, uh, Francis Gurry, uh, the Director General of WIPO, um, has been very proactive in talking to IPOs around the world. And I think that international collaboration has been really important in helping guide the best response by IPOs across the world. So, and widespread adoption of technology. We've had some bumps, of course, and of course, everyone everyone had to move to video conferencing uh, much more quickly than they otherwise may have. And I think the early engagement in digital technologies by our staff has been particularly important. 
So all of these things reinforce that these, these matters, we're, we're on the right track to get through the crisis. You recently launched Australian IP Report 2020. Uh, could you tell us more about its key elements, including the IP trends and the theme of this year's report, which is the digital economy? We're very proud of our annual IP report. It's our flagship publication. It does provide a comprehensive overview of filing activity and trends within the Australian IP system every year. It's very useful in understanding the role of IP in the Australian economy. Through that, people can see, um, of course, the lessons apply internationally as well. The theme, as, I, as you mentioned this year, is the digital economy, um, looking at how businesses with IP perform in Australia. This year's highlights, um, the research shows that businesses with IP rights survive on average five years longer uh, and have an average of more than 10 times as many staff. They have double the average profitability per employee as firms without IP rights. That's fairly important um, when you consider what governments around the world are trying to do. And it's an indication of how important IP rights will be to help economic recovery when you've got, on average, firms with IP rights having more people, more jobs, more profits. Mm -hmm. In our data, it was a record year of applications uh, for filings um, at IP Australia in 2018 and a slight decline in numbers in, in 2019. As you would expect, countries like the US, China, Japan, Germany and the UK are our top five countries of origins and of interest was a 46% year-on-year growth in standard patent applications coming out of China. It was interesting to see that design applications, ICT-related design applications, trebled in the past decade, um, almost doubling their share of total applications in designs. So I think that reflects increasing design innovation activity overall in Australia's digital economy. Uh, now I would like to end this interview with a few rapid-fire questions. Could you name a word that would summarize the last decade and the one you expect for the decade that is just beginning? I think optimism. Optimism in both directions. I think it's a fitting word to end the last decade because it fits the numerous challenges that society and our planet have faced. And I think we're going to need very large doses of optimism as we start the next decade. With optimism comes opportunities for how we work, how we engage with our stakeholders, how we continue to improve. So I think optimism. The last book you read? A book called Dark Emu by an Australian author, Bruce Pascoe. It re-examines colonial accounts of Indigenous people in Australia and explains that they had lots of innovation and skill in disciplines that genuinely you don't think of with respect to our first Australians and that's important because we're trying to do a lot to recognise Indigenous innovation in IP Australia and how to make improvements to the IP system to ensure it promotes cultural integrity and the economic potential of Indigenous knowledge. Do you have a piece of advice to businesses, IP rights holders and innovative entrepreneurs overcome the challenging period ahead? Yeah, I think uh, it's important they remember that they're not alone. 
IP Australia is here to help innovators with information and support. Challenging times generates lots of innovation and we want to make sure that we harness that as a society, as an economy, and that's why IP Australia is here to help achieve that for our businesses. Thank you very much, Michael. Pleasure. Thank you very much, Audrey. It's been a delight to speak with you. My guest today was Michael Schwager, Director General of IP Australia. Thank you for listening to Brand and New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for new episodes. If you like today's podcast, please subscribe and share it. We are always looking for new people to discover brand and new. And to learn more about INTA, its resources and events, please visit www.inta.org. Thank you.